So we will continue our uh, series in uh, Gospel of Mark. Uh, for those of you who are new or uh, for the first time, we have reached chapter 4, the Gospel of Mark, and we're just working our way through it. And uh, Mark is really the shortest gospel. It's quite compact. And the reason is probably because Mark doesn't include a lot of teaching. The Gospel of Mark is about the servant, Jesus as the servant, the servant king, as we sang this morning. So there's a lot of action, a lot of things that he did, his works, more than his teaching. Um, nevertheless, the chapter for today is a lot of teaching. It's one of the chapters in this uh, gospel where there are parables and, and that sort of things. So for today, the focus is more on his words than on his works. But in order to understand this chapter 4, um, we will need to go back briefly to the preceding chapters. Um, because something is going on in this gospel, and in fact, uh, the same thing as what is going on in Matthew and, and Luke and John. Um, and it is good to see that. It helps you to understand the gospel and a lot of information that we receive in the Bible. It puts things in perspective. So let's recap briefly what has happened so far. In, in chapter 1, the Messiah comes. He is just introduced by John the Baptist, his forerunner. And John is very clear on who this man is, the Messiah. Finally, he has arrived. Um, even God himself confirms with a voice from heaven, this is my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And yet, the Jews in chapter 1 of Mark 27, they say, what is this? Maybe you remember that, that story all the way back in Exodus, long ago, and nothing has changed since then. You know, the people of Israel, they were in the desert, just rescued from Egypt, and they are complaining, we have no food. And Moses tells them, tomorrow, God will provide bread. In the morning, Exodus 16, verse 12, in the morning you shall be filled with bread. So just imagine, you're an Israelite, you're going to bed that night, and you really wonder, wow, exciting. How is God going to do this in the desert? Can't wait to see. So you go to sleep. The next morning they wake up. They crawl out of their tent. And they find this fine flaky thing all around them. And they really go like, Mana? That's their language. It means, what is this? What do you mean, what is this? This is, of course, the bread that Moses told you about just yesterday. And now, in the Gospel of Mark, the Messiah has come. John the Baptist has confirmed it. God himself confirmed it. It's very clear. And they are, again, like, what is this? But it gets worse in chapter 2. They start questioning. Jesus is forgiving sins, reading the minds of people, healing, miracles of healing, very convincing. 
but the Jews can only find fault with him. And they question him, why this, why that? That is chapter 2. Then in chapter 3, it gets even worse. They start rejecting the Pharisees and Herodians, who would usually be... Um, they, they wouldn't be friends, they couldn't get along uh, with each other, the Pharisees and the Herodians. But here, they suddenly join forces plotting to kill the Son of Man, the Messiah. And it's quite clear from the chapter that they were not ignorant. It is not that they didn't know. They knew this power that we are seeing is true. They know the miracles are real. But what do, they, what do they do? They ascribe his works to the devil. And in so doing, they blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. We saw that last week. And this is serious. Because these were the people of God. The people that God had invested in since he called Abraham, all the way back in the book of Genesis. Since then, through the ages, he cared for them, trained them, disciplined them, provided for them, as Paul says in Romans 9 to them belong the adoption the glory the covenants the giving of the law the worship the promises to them belong the patriarchs and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all blessed forever amen in other words here is Israel the best of the best not because they were better people but because of the privileges that they had God invested in them they were the elect God's show model and his test case at the same time. That means if they would fail, the rest of the world, us, would fail even worse. They were the privileged one. If they would fail, we would fail even worse. And here comes the Christ, and he is looking for fruit from his own people fruit from the fig tree in chapter 11 Mark chapter 11 you'll read about this fig tree and in Mark chapter 12 you'll read about the vineyard the owner of the vineyard coming to collect the fruit and both of them, the fig tree and the vineyard they symbolize Israel but there is no fruit on the fig tree and instead of producing fruit from the vineyard, the leaders of the nation plot to kill the Christ. That means Israel as a nation rejects him. Israel, the most privileged people, they fail. Just imagine that. And imagine the implications for them and for us. And then you have that rather frightening question in, in Mark chapter 12 that deals with this vineyard uh, parable. The question is asked, what will the owner of the vineyard do? Let that question sink in. What is he going to do now? When his show model, his test case failed, what is he going to do? <coughs> is he going to destroy the world? Like the best failed, so the rest will also fail and has failed already, so let's just destroy it? Or is he going to abandon the world? Is he just going back to heaven? Give up? Give up on us? 
Now go back to Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Again, he entered the synagogue. And that is really the heart of the Jewish society, the synagogue, the court of the nation. But Jesus is rejected. We saw that already. The leaders held counsel how to kill him in verse 6 of chapter 3. And then verse 7, Jesus withdrew. Withdrew where? Back to heaven? No. Thank God. He withdrew with his disciples to the sea. Verse 7. And just as the fig tree and the vineyard is a symbol, an image of Israel as a nation, the sea is an image of the nations. There's quite a lot of Bible verses that give the idea. The, the sea with all its waves and movements, it is the nations of this world. It's us. And I don't think I'm reading things into the text that are not there. Because Mark is writing to a Gentile audience, like non-Jews, like us. And he's hinting, look at this. He's now leaving the synagogue. He's rejected. He's going to the sea. And Mark, uh, Matthew, uh, he is uh, writing to a Jewish audience. In about the same point in the ministry of Jesus, he will say in Matthew 13, that same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. Jesus, who was sent to the lost sheep of Israel, is now including the nations. What grace, what an amazing response to this rejection from the best of the best. He doesn't go back to heaven. He said, okay, now I'm going to the sea. I'm going to include whoever wants to come. And then in Mark chapter 3, verse 13, he moves from the sea to the mountain and he calls his 12 disciples. It's a mountain scene. It's elevated up. Because something new, something heavenly, will be introduced. The kingdom of God. And the 12 disciples will ultimately be his apostles to go beyond Israel into the world and reach the whole world. Then at the close of Mark chapter 3, Jesus is breaking his natural ties with Israel. He says in verse 34, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Now maybe you say, I thought we were going to do chapter 4 and you're halfway your sermon already and we haven't even started reading the chapter. And, and what, 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 is, what is your point? And how does this help me tomorrow and on Tuesday? What is the practical implication of all this? Well, I think the practical implication is this. Worship. And let me try to explain that. I think what I'm trying to say is summarized by Paul himself in Romans uh, 11, where he says this, Has God rejected his people, Israel? By no means. Did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, Asians, Americans, Africans, Australians, 
Europeans, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has, has come in. And you see that happening in the book of Acts, actually. Even after the death and resurrection of Christ, he sort of returns to his own people. Not Jesus himself physically, but through the apostles, Peter, he will preach to the Israelites, repent. They are still granted time to repent on a few occasions. And the final call in the book of Acts is really in chapter 7, when Stephen, one more time, goes through the whole history from Abram all the way to Jesus. And what do they do? They literally, if you read it, chapter 7, literally put their fingers in their ears. They drag the Stephen out of the city and they stone him. Chapter 8 of Acts 57. They stone Stephen to death. The final call is rejected. But then read the next verse. I find it very fascinating. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Israel, the leaders, they are stoning their last witness. Rejection, we saw just now. And it is as if Luke, who is writing the book of Acts, he says, what's that man there? Saul, who will become Paul after his conversion. And he will reach the nations. He will be the apostle to the Gentiles. The final call is rejected, but that does not close the door of grace. Quite the opposite. The door now opens wide. The whole world. It is this Paul who wrote in uh, Romans 11, and in that letter he is sharing the gospel, the good news, with believers in Rome, who were also Gentiles. And this whole Israel story that we are dealing with now, that is part of the good news. Because Paul says, I'm sharing with you the gospel, and that includes chapters 9 to 11 of Romans. And for Paul, this is a reason to worship. So the chapter closes, chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways. For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So that is the practical implication. Worship. As we study our way through the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, we realize this is for us. This is for me. Jesus being rejected by his own people opened the door for me. And when Jesus gives his life at the end of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, he's breathing his last on that cross. It is a Roman centurion, a European guy like me, who says, truly, this man was the Son of God. That was his response. Now, what is your response to this Jesus, to this gospel? That is the question in Mark chapter 4. 
So finally, let's go to Mark chapter 4 and um, let's read verses 1 to 20, keeping in mind um, what we've been seeing so far. Mark chapter 4, verse 1. Again, he began, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land, and he was teaching them many things in the parables, in parables. And in his teaching he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell among the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So, Jesus starts to speak in parables that is uh, new. He didn't do that from the beginning. And you see the same pattern in the other Gospels, by the way. At some point in his ministry, he suddenly switches into a different mode, speaking in parables. Why does he do that? Is he now using illustrations as to make his message more clear? Well, if you get both the parable and the explanation, like what we have been reading just now, the parable first, then the explanation, then it helps you actually to understand things better. But the thing is, he didn't give the explanation to the people. 
he left them like the whole large crowd um, with only the parable and that was not to be more clear but rather to be less clear verses 10 to 12 gives, uh, gives the reason Jesus explains to a small group and that were his disciples and the people whom he called his mother and brothers and sisters not his natural family but those who would do the will of God at the end of chapter 3 these are the people to whom he explains um, the mystery and he said to them to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God so the secret or the mystery but for those outside everything is in parables in other words the parables are about the kingdom of God but Jesus explains them only to those that follow him but not to the rest so that Mark 4 verse 12 they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven that is strange right it's a bit unsettling you, you, you feel like why doesn't he want them to repent is he unwilling to forgive because that's what it says lest they should turn and be forgiven this rather serious verse is, is, a, is quoted from Isaiah 6 and you find it in all the four Gospels but you don't find it right in chapter 1 of the Gospel it is Jesus response after the nation of Israel chooses to reject their Messiah since there was no fruit for God from Israel as a nation but only rejection as we have uh, seen on the previous slide a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in it's important to keep that in mind God is always fair and even when he is hardening his own people making it more difficult for them to understand what he's saying he does that for a very glorious reason as we have seen already the fullness of the Gentiles, us, we should come in. Because God is still looking for fruit. He's not expecting it from the nation anymore, not from Israel, but He's now looking to you and to me. He is teaching again at the sea. And we have the sower in, in Mark chapter 4. The Word of God comes to you and to me, to us. And there is supposed to be fruit but it doesn't happen all the time as we have seen in the parable there's nothing wrong with the seed the seed is the same wherever it falls there's nothing wrong with the sower but it is the ground that makes a difference there is hard ground along the path it's a hard heart no interest in the things of in the things of God the word never penetrates it never reaches the conscience it doesn't reach the heart there's no conviction of sin it's just sorry I'm not interested don't we see that everywhere around us I'm not interested Satan comes and snatches away the word 
these are the birds in the parable and Jesus explains this is Satan snatching away the word then there's the rocky ground these people are quite happy in church they even enjoy the singing the music maybe even the sermon and it looks promising in a way but there is no root and when things get tough in their lives they give up they fall away there's no root no root in Christ there never was and there's a thorny ground these people hear the word but there's a lot of competition in their lives other things are more important one day their life is over and they meet their creator and they realize that work and leisure and money and all these hobbies things they were more important than that what mattered most but there's also the good soil these are the people that hear and accept verse 20 they hear and accept the word that's a choice it's a matter of choice accept or reject and then they bear fruit for God in obedience and worship and some bear more fruit than others 30 fold 60 fold and 100 fold so what ground are you how is your heart but even for those of us who have accepted the word for those who have accepted Christ for those of us who can say by grace I belong to him God is the word of God is bearing fruit in my life there's still the danger of rocks and thorns maybe we need to throw out some rocks and pull some weeds here and there in order to bear more fruit 30 fold 60 fold and 100 fold and one aspect of bearing fruit is to pass on the light that we have received that is what the next parable is about if we have received the gospel into our own hearts it comes with responsibility we don't keep it to ourselves we don't hide it under a basket we're not la uh, lazy and leave it under our beds no we put the light on the stand for others to see and there's really a blessing in it the more we share Jesus with others the more we receive from him the more we talk about him the more real he becomes to us it's really true when you share Jesus with someone else no matter what the person does with it the first blessing is really for yourself already Jesus becomes more real for yourself when you share him with others but the opposite is also true that's what it says in Mark 4 verse 21 and he said to them is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest nor is anything secret except to come to light if anyone has ears to hear let him hear and he said to them pay attention to what you hear with the measure you use it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you for to the one who has more will be given and from the one who has not even what he has 
will be taken away. May the Lord help me to take this to heart. It's a privilege to share the light with others. And many will reject it, some will accept it, but that's not our responsibility. Somehow the seed that Jesus himself started to sow during his ministry here on earth, during his own lifetime, it, it will grow. It's the life, the strength of the seed itself. Um, it, it will just sprout, it will grow. We don't even know how. And Jesus, who is now in heaven, he is sort of absent. He is no longer on earth. To the world it looks like he's asleep. He's not acknowledged as king yet, but his kingdom becomes visible in every heart that receives him. And therefore we pray with patience for our loved ones, for our friends, and we thank God for every new spiritual life that we see, every seed sprouting from the ground. And one day Jesus will return and it will be a great harvest. And that is the next passage. Verse 26, he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And then the next parable is still about the kingdom of God. And this kingdom of God, and that is is related to the rejection of Israel actually. He came as king but he was rejected. And we have seen he now opens the door for the whole world. And now the kingdom of God becomes real in the heart of individual people. Israel has rejected him. The whole world has rejected him. But for the individual people the kingdom of God can become reality. The kingdom of God in the heart of people that receive Jesus. And that started really small, just 12 disciples. But it grew. And much seed fell in good ground. In the book of Acts, 3,000 people in one day. And slowly this invisible kingdom in the hearts of people grew into something big. Something spectacular even. And in the 4th century, Constantine really gave Christianity a boost. But it wasn't necessarily a good thing. We now have all those cathedrals, millions and billions of euros and, and dollars going to that. We have built Christianity, but it is an outward religion. It's a big tree that is still growing. I looked up on the internet, Christianity is still the largest religion in the world. About one-third, one out of three people in this world is considered a Christian. But I wonder, when the harvest will come, verse 29, will it be really one-third? I'm afraid not. It's a big tree, Christianity, but the birds of the air make nests in its shade. 
the same birds that were snatching away the seed just now, Satan is nesting in the shade of Christianity. And so we have all sorts of heresies, and they are embraced as all sorts of sins that are condoned. And in many cases, the real gospel, the pure gospel, is snatched away by birds nesting in the very tree of Christianity. We see that everywhere around us. Verse 30, he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parables shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. So how am I going to end this sermon? Because there's a lot of negativity in this chapter. Jesus starts to teach in, in parables to those who rejected him, so that they will not understand. Doesn't sound too good. Then the seed falls a lot of times in the wrong kind of soil. We looked at the light hidden under a basket, and even satanic influence within the kingdom of God. It's quite negative, but I don't want to end negative. I do want to pose the question though, which soil are you? How is your heart? And thank God there is also the good soil, a heart willing to receive the word of God, to receive Christ himself. And thank God that he opened the door of grace for the whole world, for you, for me. And for those of us that belong to Christ, there is the comfort of the final passage of the chapter. On that day, verse 35, so that is after all this teaching with good news and bad news, to put it that way, on that day, Jesus calls his own disciples, and by grace we can count ourselves among them. And they leave the crowd behind, but they have Jesus. They go into a boat with him, and then comes a storm. And life can be really stormy. So many things going on, on that sea, the, the nation, the whole world. The news makes you sick. It's violence and scandals and abuse and injustice and persecution. And not just outside the church, even within Christianity. As, as a religion, I mean. And Jesus doesn't seem to notice. He's up there in heaven, the right hand of the Father. He seems asleep. Do you feel like that sometimes, when storm comes your way, that Jesus doesn't seem to notice? But by faith, we know that he is there. And do you think that the Son of God is going to sink? I don't think so. That means if he is not going to sink, that means that we who are with him in the boat won't sink either. So we read his words, peace, be still. 
and the chapter closes with the words who is this and that's a different question from the one in chapter one here the disciples stand in awe who is this Jesus I want to know you better let's read the final passage of this chapter on that day verse 35 when evening had come he said to them let us go across to the other side and leaving the crowd they took him with them in the boat just as he was and all the boats were with him and a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him teacher do you not care that we are perishing but he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea peace be still and the wind ceased and there was a great calm he said to them why are you so afraid have you still no faith and they were filled with great fear and said to one another who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him shall we pray Father, we thank you for your plan of salvation. We thank you that when your show model, your test case failed, that you didn't close the door, but opened it wide for the whole world, for us. As we have remembered the Lord this morning, how he stepped forward, take me, let them go free. We realize that you have done everything possible. Nothing was too much for you, Father, even your own son. It is really up to us whether we accept or reject. that's frightening because there must be consequences Father we thank you that once we accept we are safe in the boat with Jesus we will reach the other shore and through the storms of life by faith we know he is with us might seem he is asleep but he is in full control we pray father that his words peace be still will be on our hearts throughout this week we pray for those in this room who have maybe still questions as in chapter one wondering who is this or maybe accusing questions as is as in chapter two or even rejection so far but i pray that the urgency of taking things serious will be impressed on their hearts it is still the day of grace but it is today and not tomorrow Help us, Father, to open our hearts to be this 
good soil to receive your word and to bear fruit for you, for your glory. Because that was why you made us. That is the only thing that fulfills our lives now and forever. We commend ourselves to you for this week. In the Lord Jesus' name, Amen.